Welcome to Total Health Transformation Podcast, hosted by Dr. Danny Scarhill. Dr. Danny is a doctor of chiropractic, an author, speaker, and trainer. And on the THT Podcast, he interviews other health experts to glean further insights that will help you achieve total health transformation. Welcome to the Total Health Transformation Podcast. My name's Dr. Danny Scarhill, the founder of dannyscarhill.com, the author of Total Health Transformation, the proven system to unlock limitless energy, motivation, and health, and the creator of the Total Health Transformation programs. Let's get straight into it on this episode. Welcome to the THC Podcast. I've got another fantastic guest for you, Liz Anderson-Peacock. Liz is internationally recognized in the chiropractic profession for her clinical insights, teaching, and speaking. Outside her profession, she facilitates corporate groups working on transformative team building, motivation, and matching values with vision. Without further ado, welcome to the TH2 podcast, Dr. Liz. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> You're most welcome. So tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today, Liz? Ah. Uh... Simple version is I just followed what my intuition and my, where my joy was found. Um, that's sort of really the simplest, the simplest way of putting it. Uh, the long version would be along the lines of following what my interests were, where am I fascinated? Where am I going to be challenged and moving forward with that? So each one of that, those things I could break down a lot, but ultimately where I am now is definitely a result of every prior decision before. Is it where I thought I would be? Yes and no. So I would say yes in the success side. Yes, as in the joy and happiness side. No, because I thought I was going to be doing it in other things. And so it's interesting how life throws you curveballs and it's how we choose to respond to those curveballs that can evolve us to a greater heightened sense of self-awareness and purpose, or we can become victimized and shrink from it as well. And not every decision has been the best decision, but I will say every decision has taught a lesson or moved me in a direction. Cool. So yeah, we'll, we'll get into all these different uh, aspects of it throughout the call, no doubt. What uh, were some of the biggest learnings you've had in terms of over the years as you've been wanting to and intending to improve your health? What were some of the challenges that you had along the way there? So I would say the biggest challenge was compartmentalizing where I was really on top of things and where I wasn't. So uh, there were certain things I was really, really great at. My nutrition was really good. My exercise was really good. Of course, I'm a chiropractor. I'm under salutogenic wellness care. That was really good. I am a consumer of other forms of healthcare like massage therapy and traditional Chinese medicine, things like that. And all of that was really, really good. And at the same time, I also invited a lot of stress into my life as an interpretation of things that were going on. And that was the area that I thought I had compartmentalized. And I would say that I, well, I did compartmentalize sense or the uh, intellectualizing at my stress levels, but it doesn't, didn't necessarily 
move forward into all aspects of my life emotionally. And so being a, a, a driver and a person that likes to accomplish the goals you set for yourself, sometimes there are these hiccups or wake up calls that happen. And I was basically like either putting it off or I was rationalizing it, or I thought I was dealing with it where I, in retrospect, I think it was a way of my world saying, slow down, notice, interpret, respond, and reflect, and maybe you need to pick a different direction than the way you're currently doing certain things. One of the difficulties I found was saying no, and I think this is really huge for a lot of people, is putting boundaries on saying no. And that would be another thing I would certainly say has been a big wake up call is that to be able to give to others, you need to put parameters around what you need to do for yourself first. And I like to sort of give the analogy that if you have a pitcher of water and you keep doling your water out to everybody else, uh, eventually, unless you're filling up your pitcher, you're going to all of a sudden have an empty pitcher. And so you end up not being good to yourself and you'd end up not being good for other people either. And so that would be my biggest thing was being able to recognize in myself where I was creating my own stress through my response. And then rather than falling back on programs that had worked on me in the past, like exercise and nutrition and sleep and things like that, what I learned was to quiet that beta brain, that active mind, the mind that's going all the time that's talking to you and really tune in to hone in what it is you really need to do and give your, you know, autonomic nervous system a break, <laughs> let it, let it do what it's supposed to do without overriding it. And for me, that was accomplished through meditation, which was probably one of the most difficult things for me to ever achieve because of the way I had trained my brain to work. Interesting. Um, so what kind of meditation do you do? Is it something you designed yourself or did you, did you pick one of the, you know, common ones out there? Right. So initially I was working with the common ones out there and I found it very, very difficult because I just couldn't get over my active mind. I just was having such difficulty settling it down. And then as a result, and I, and I intellectually, I understand the benefits of meditation. I, I totally understood it. But I, as soon as I would sit down and try and quiet my mind, it would just almost get more active. And it was almost torturous, really. So then I actually listened to a lot of Joe Dispenza's work. This is around 2013, 14, 15. And I recognized as, as he was doing workshops, that was going to be a really great way for me to remove myself from my normal world and be in a workshop where he's actually having you do the meditations. And then you have the advantage of everyone else around you doing the meditations. And, and that finally, by it wasn't until about 2016, I could get, get to one of his workshops. And that was definitely the kick in the butt that I needed uh, because there were no other distractions and you saw everyone else accomplishing what you wanted to do. And everyone was in different stages in their meditation journey. And um, there was a breath that was used, which you see in many different cultures, uh, breathing is used to reset the nervous system, move the energy in the body. 
And that's really what Joe was focusing on before you even got started with the meditation was moving stuck energy in your body so that you can move that from the body into the brain where you want the energy to be. And then it was teaching you how to quiet the mind. Um, it did not come easily for me at all. I still have days where I'm like, oh, there we are, you know. Uh, however, it is a skill that you learn. And it's like learning how to walk and learning how to run and learning how to do anything new. One just needs to put some time and energy and attention on it. Now, what I really, really liked was getting to this place of nothingness. Uh, you're, not, uh, you're not your body. You're not your personality. You're not your thoughts necessarily as an active mind. You're in this place of nothing, like literally nothing. That's a blackness. There's void. It's a void. And in that place, um, attaching or connecting with a vibration of an emotion that you want to be feeling. So for me, the emotions that work the best are gratitude, grace, joy, though, you know, those ones are love, certainly, but I would say joy and gratitude are the two ones that I can connect with the most easily. And when I was able to start to connect with that feeling of that same vibration, it, I would say it infused your body, except you weren't a body. <laughs> it infused your awareness, your consciousness. And when I was holding that energy and uh, holding it in a way where I don't anticipate what's going to occur, you're just really, really present. All of a sudden, all these other things started to show up that was in alignment with that. So uh, it was, uh, it became a resource that was hugely significant in my life and in my, in my journey in the last, you know, the last, I guess, eight years, seven years. Cool. Yeah. I love meditation myself. I've been doing TM transcendental meditation for just over 11 years now. And it's, I can't imagine not doing it now. Do you feel the same sort of thing with the style you do? Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I can spend a long time in meditation and that's what a lot of people initially think, oh my gosh, you know, I don't have two hours to meditate or whatever. And there are times when I don't even have to do that. It's just a matter of, I connect and it could be five minutes if all I have is five minutes or I'm on a plane or I'm waiting to board a plane or, or whatever it might be. Right. Um, or if I catch myself where I feel, start to feel stressed, then you learn how to reset yourself more on the spot, becoming a learned skill. Right. And you can do it through breathing, connecting, resetting, and it's noticing and catching yourself in an earlier time frame. Whereas before I would just go unconscious and then all of a sudden I was like, how did I get way over there when I started here? So now the refractory time I would say has become less. That's for sure. Cool. And if you happen to miss it one day, do you really notice it in your body and in your mind? Cause I do, if I miss any meditations, I would say I do miss it. Yes. And, um, and I would say that not every day do I sit sort of in silence without moving to meditate because sometimes I can be, well, for example, I was scuba diving in the Maldives a couple of weeks ago and <clears throat> I can get into that, you know, zero buoyancy and float and I can be extremely meditative because you're totally in the present moment and you're, you have this expansive awareness of, um, the universe reflecting itself in whatever it is you're in, in that milieu of the water in that moment. So I, for me, it's very 
neutral in my brain shuts off and I'm very, very present. And I think the same thing happens if I'm out, you know, kayaking or if I'm walking in the woods in silence and I'm just have this awareness. And so it doesn't always have to be where I'm sitting down, although that's where the biggest magic happens. And I mentioned this really because I think a lot of people find stepping stones into meditation. And so being able to walk in nature and just listen to nature, don't have your cell phone on, just listen to what's going around, be very, very present and be present in your heart. Right. So I think that those are, those are doable bite-sized pieces that move us in a direction towards perhaps a different journey than where we currently are. Excellent. Like it. So there's been all sorts of uh, research on meditation, one being that it will help boost your immune system. Um, and there's many, many other things that will boost your immune system. In your experience, what, what uh, have you found to be great things to easily and quickly boost your immune system? Okay. Well, first of all, I don't like the word necessarily boost your immune system. And the reason why is that the immune system is right. So it's a matter of how do we, um, how do we maintain an efficient, well-functioning immune system? I think that's really the key piece because the immune system is supposed to be under balance. So I think First of all, you know, meditation, as I mentioned, is a good thing. Uh, the proper exercise and movement is another huge thing to balance out the nervous system, which in turn affects the brain, which in turn affects the psychoneuroimmunology piece. I think that uh, there's definitely there's foods that we can be looking at and there's certain herbs and things like that that have been used traditionally in many, many cultures to support a healthy immune system. There is definitely a, um, you know, there's, there's a specific menu, if you will, for homo sapien that allows for all the nutrition to be received that is idealized, right? And it's generally not with food. And even then there's some tweaking epigenetically. And so I talked to Nick Gonzalez, who's passed away, but he was an MD in New York City who was treating cancer naturally. And he has passed away since, uh, since my last conversation. But we used to talk about this and he would, we would say, you know, the Inuit, the traditional Inuit of, you know, Northern Canada, would they be ideally functioning as the same diet as an Aboriginal in Australia or the Bushmen of the Kalahari or the, um, you know, someone coming from Italy or someone coming from Mexico? And the question there is, you know, epigenetic drift over time that, yes, there's nutrition that we all need, but how we go about getting it and some of the nuances, I think, are what is important for us to understand that what fits, there's not one size that fits all, okay? Yeah. That's really what I'm getting down to. And ultimately we become our own experiment. There needs to be individualization to it versus sort of a general, everybody gets the same thing. I think that's really key. Um, I think that certainly managing our stress, which has a lot to do with the ability to absorb food properly, uh, managing our stress has a lot to do with the recuperative, recuperative time of rest, you know, uh, re recuperative rest and sleep. If we're not getting enough sleep, we already know that that changes our immune system as well. So that's not idealized. So I think, again, there's a lot of things that people can do with that is don't have on your darn cell phone before you go to bed. And I am I'm, I'm guilty of that. Um, it's a matter of turning things off at a certain time during the day, maybe 
maybe uh, not consuming anything that's going to sort of wake up the brain and get it stimulated. And if anything, do the opposite or do what we do with our children is you have a bedtime routine. Get yourself into a blackout room, you know, um, with blackout curtains so that you can have a good quality sleep between, you know, 1 and 4 a.m. It's where we should have the greatest melatonin, which is super, super restorative in the body. So I think there's a lot of things that way. Breathing, fresh air, you know, getting out of the seating, sitting posture, standing up and moving properly so we can aerate and oxygenate our body appropriately. Uh, so I think there's I think there's a lot of different things. Some people will do uh, things like Wim Hof method. Other people will go to a sweat lodge. All of those can have benefits as long as you're in that right mental frame of being able to be receiving it the right way. So what I mean by that is if I was to do a Wim Hof method, which is sort of like the ice baths, or I was going to be doing, you know, hot saunas, if I'm stressed when I'm doing it and interpreting it as a negative that I'm forcing myself to do because someone's told me to do it and it's good for you, I don't actually know if that's going to be good for you. If you're doing it because it puts you into a state of invigoration and joy and peace with yourself or self-awareness, that's a very different interpretation by the nervous system. It's the same thing with eating. If you're eating on the go and you're under stress with your eating, my question is, will that food be assimilated in the same way as if you are comfortable with friends experiencing food and the textures and the life of food, which one do you think is going to maybe make a difference on the body? And that's just sort of makes common sense to me. I don't necessarily have any data on it, but it just makes sense. So to sort of recap, making sure you're getting good quality rest and restorative rest, nutrition, movement, exercise, however that looks for you. But overarching that is managing, I'm going to say stress, because that is going to allow the nervous system to interpret and respond most efficiently. Absolutely. The way it's designed to. And so it's not like you can inject something in to boost it, right? That's my whole thing is that it's a matter of allowing it to do what it's designed to do and keep it balanced, right? And that's the problem is that when we're under stress is that we imbalance our own nervous system, which in turn can, can imbalance our immune system through the impact of the brain on the neurology on the immune system. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. In terms of the immune system and things that benefit it, like obviously you've worked with probably hundreds of thousands of kids in your pediatric chiropractic career. How important is touch for the immune system? We are social creatures. We are humanity is a social creature and i mean they've done experiments on primates and they've done experiments with children i remember the ones that came out many many years ago on uh on children that were left isolated in um foster well not even a foster home it wasn't even a home i can't think of what it was called right now but um and these children were irreparably damaged from the lack of contact and you know we are tactile people it's where we create bonding and the the physical touch and the the observation with people it's absolutely huge and 
cannot say enough that especially right now that time-wise in a pandemic and we're all being told not to touch i'm going to say within anyone's bubble that whatever you're in is you want to maximize your touching and as a matter of fact i don't know if you can see it i have a button on here um and it just said i know this is going to be a podcast so people aren't going to see it but i bought a thousand of these buttons that say i hug and I give them to all of my patients. And I'm really clear with it because everyone's coming into this pandemic with different levels of, you know, awareness and uh, responsibility. And so I had like, a, for example, a little kid yesterday and I gave him one. And I said, and I said, what does that mean? And first of all, he, I said, what does it say? So he spelled it out and then he phonetically got it right. And I said, what does that mean? He goes, I hug. And I said, so who do you get to hug the most? And he goes, mommy and daddy. I said, well, what if you hug them even more, right? So again, dad's sitting there. He's happy as a clam. He's a hugger, right? And, um, and you're encouraging this child. And then I said, one of these days, we're going to all be able to hug everybody and make up for hugs, right? We're going to get more hugs than we ever have before. And so back to your question is, <laughs> sorry, circling back, I go on tangents massively important touch is massively important and uh of course as a background being chiropractors we are gifted with that opportunity to touch people and initially when this pandemic started and we were not able to see people where people were choosing not to come in there was a combination of both that when people started coming back under care one of the things I first did was when they were laying down on the table, I would just put my hand on their back and I'd ask them to breathe. And I just say, just breathe. We gotcha. You know, and my hand on their back and just saying, breathe. So many of them burst into tears, like sobbing, like just a cathartic release on just, you know, it, this feels normal and it hasn't felt normal. And thank you for allowing me to self-express without any judgment and you get me, right? And so I never take for granted the, uh, the opportunity we have to touch people. And it's the same thing too with my, I, I've talked to my massage therapist that I've, uh, that I've seen. We talk about the same thing is that there's been this incredible opportunity to help people in very subtle ways, you know, and, and um, yeah, it's something I just don't take for granted and none of us should. And I think that there are other ways right now that maybe some people are able to do touch points with people in the standpoint, maybe it's eye contact or it's a super big smile if you wear a mask so that your eyes crinkle up and the other person knows you're smiling behind that or it's the tone of your voice or it's a virtual hug or whatever it might be. It's a matter of how are we still connecting and as humans, but there's nothing that beats the physical touch. Absolutely. So as you alluded to in the in, in just very recently in this conversation, it's, it has been quite a challenging year for many, many people um, with lots of adversity. You know, what would you say to people about who, who are they, who are we going to choose to be in terms of adversity? Cause it shows up and we have a decision. Who am I going to be when the adversity strikes? What would you say to that? So I think the, the first thing is, is to, to notice what's going on with yourself. It's almost to stop and notice and reflect. The reason why is that I often, like many people, get sucked into it <laughs> and I go unconscious and all of a sudden I'm running a program that all of a sudden I'm like, wow, how did I get pulled over there? 
And I realized it was related to usually some, I wasn't curating the information coming into my brain via usually the internet. And so all of a sudden I'm off my true north. And so I think the first thing people need to do is stop and notice. And how are you feeling? And if your guts are churning, if you feel like you want to fight somebody, notice that, then reflect on where were you before that's created that, not to have to label it, but to recognize how do I not feel like that again? And then as, and as a result of that, what do I want to feel? And I think that there's a lot of people that are waking up right now saying there is so much mixed information. Who do I trust? Do I trust left side? Do I trust right side? Do I trust, you know, what is going on? And, uh, and I think we have to be very careful with the extremes, but ultimately it's tuning in and it's what feels right for you. What feels normal for you? Where, where can you put normalcy back in your life? And so it's catching yourself, recognizing, whoops, I ran a program, then get excited saying, whoa, I caught myself running a program. Yay me. Cause before I would have just gone off with it. And then what do I need to do? What's the, where do I want to be in my preferred future? So for example, if I go offline, meaning I go unconscious and I start running a program and I start to get a bit aggressive with uh, something I'm reading, then it's a matter of, oh, notice, reflect. What do I want? I want joy. I want grace. I want peace. I want love. I want wholeness. Okay, so what do I need to do? And so there are different strategies. Disengage with one and do more of the other. Where do you want to put your resources? So for example, now there's certain times during the day that I do not go on any technology because I find that there's so much of it that is not necessarily helpful. There are people that I've curated out of my feeds because they're so negative or they're so combative. I'm like, why do I need you in my life? I really don't. You can go do that with someone else that wants to hear it. I don't, I don't find it productive. So there's parameters that we can put around. And then there's these other reset ways. You go for a walk, you do your breathing, you meditate, you do whatever and, um, and learn how to ask questions, right? So rather than trying to tell people what to do is ask questions and become more curious and become curious with ourselves. So what am I learning about myself? What do I want more of? You know, I think those are really key questions. I loved what you said about curating people out of your life. I thought that was, that's a really nice way of saying blocking people on Facebook. I love that. That was brilliant. So in in terms of, um, you know, mastering your emotions and, um, because obviously, you know, there's been a number of, like it's been going on almost a year, this uh, COVID nonsense, hasn't it? So it's been an emotional roller coaster. I've heard somebody talk recently calling it the COVID coaster uh, <laughs> as opposed to a roller coaster. And it, it has been very much like a, a roller coaster at times. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what are some, uh, a few little strategies that you could uh, advise the audience on how to? perhaps master and manage their emotions better? Well, I think I've covered a few of them. Number one is, first of all, where are recognizing where you are right now, but not, not necessarily spending a lot of time on it. Because if you keep thinking about the same emotion that you're in, you're going to keep creating the same emotion that you're in. If you keep 
thinking the same way you thought in the past, you're going to then bring forward the same thinking to where you are now. So you need a whole different level of thinking and feeling. This is a lot of Joe Dispenza's work. He's, he's, he's a master at describing how to uh, overcome yourself with that. And so the key with it is, you know, what are the emotions you want to feel? Do you want to feel love, peace, wholeness, grace, joy, whatever it might be, what are those emotions? And then what do you need to do to take yourself into that emotion, hold that emotion and then look for things in the environment that are that vibrational frequency or that match. So for example, early on in the COVID piece, one of the things I was seeing a lot of online was just this um, uh, bullying, just this really, this, this horribleness of people. And I recognize that people were doing this because they're fearful. They're not thinking in their right brain because they're terrified, they're scared, or they've had you know, they've lost somebody and they want to blame and they're angry, whatever it might be, any of those emotions, right, which separate us from whole does not allow a uh, coherent brain, coherent heart and coherent brain does not allow the brain to be creative and resourceful. Okay. Because you go into your stress mode and it's usually fight or defend. It's sort of those kinds of energies. And I remember thinking on, in one of my meditations is I want to see today, I want to see acts of random kindness. I want to see generosity. I want to see goodness. And I just went into that meditation thinking, connecting with that sense of generosity and goodness and, and grace and the, you know, the best of what people can be. I come out of that meditation and for probably a couple, three days, that's all I saw. That's all I saw was these incredible acts of people helping people. And it was going on before, but it was the lens that I had put on that was very different, which of course made me feel all warm and fuzzy. And, you know, you're bursting, you're, you know, boosting up your own oxytocin levels, your sense of, well, you know, of bonding with wanting to bond with people and your own ability to become more creative and resourceful is very different. And you're de-stressing yourself. So I think that that's really another key piece is what is it your, is your preferred future? How do you want to feel in that preferred future? And you want to hold a very clear vision of the thought and the feeling, but you got to feel it. You can't just imagine if I was there, how would I feel? It would be being in that feeling now. And every emotion, of course, has a vibrational frequency to it. So the more you can align with the emotion that you're wanting, the more you're going to create that in your life. And it's hard, especially if we've been through months and months of feeling disenfranchised or in fear, or, you know, you've lost jobs or people, whatever it might be. It's really takes a lot of momentum to overcome those emotions uh, because we've also trained our neurology to be in that energy, if you will. So it's overcoming that. Cool. I loved what you were saying about uh, your focus because, you know, what you focus on expands, doesn't it? And uh, I loved what you said about uh, a lens. You looked at it through a different lens. You expected something different. And lo and behold, you start to see something different. I love that. That was brilliant. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, the, it, it just goes to show, isn't it? Be careful what you focus on because it will show up. Absolutely. And there is an alignment that's required because often you'll hear about, oh, just be more positive, have a positive mindset. And I agree with that. The problem is, is that if you have a positive mindset over a negative 
So a positive thought over a negative feeling, it isn't going to work. It's like putting a foot on the gas pedal and a foot on the brake, but more on the brake than the gas pedal. So you're not going anywhere. So it's making that alignment between your thoughts and your feelings and holding and sustaining that. And then not looking, well, the lens will go out for you to all of a sudden see what's already there that you couldn't see before. It's sort of like, you know, if I ask all your viewers to look for a red car, all they're going to see is red cars because I've asked you to put your lens on that, right? So it's the same thing with the with these other feelings and thoughts in and yeah, I think it's really that is the extra key piece that it makes a positive mindset more palatable and more realistic too. Excellent. Good stuff. It's been fantastic to have you on the show today, Liz. Thank you so much for taking out some time out of your busy schedule to be with us on the THC podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully it wasn't all over the map. I get excited with these things. And, you know, I think, because I know you're going to ask, you know, what a, a final parting thought. And one of the things I like to say is that, you know, we are more creative and resourceful than what we've been led to believe. And to find out how creative and resourceful we are, we don't have to look for that outside. We have to just be it on the inside and honor that. Nice. I like it. Where's the best place people can find you online if they want to reach out or connect or give you a shout? Sure. Uh, probably publicly is Instagram, actually, under drlizap. And uh, I've got a website, drliz.ca. And uh, those are probably two of the easiest ways. Excellent. Good stuff. Thanks, Liz. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the THC podcast. Dr. Danny, thank you so much as well. Love what you're doing. All the best. You too. You've been listening to the THT podcast with myself, Dr. Danny Scarhill. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, or any one of the other outlets where we stream. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash total health transformation. You can also find more information about myself on my website, dannyscarhill.com, where you'll find lots of fantastic information and some free products for you as well. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Take care. All the best. You've been listening to Dr. Danny Scarhill on the Total Health Transformation podcast, helping you to eat, move and think on purpose. See you on our next episode.